in what world does Matty Cash think he has a long range pass across the pitch in his armory as well? Surely, in the Cash... same world that he thinks he has a long range throwing <laughs> and a long range shot. Tim Sherwood here. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. I'm hurt. I'm really, really hurt. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't even want to podcast. I've been avoiding conversation. I, I went on social media for the first time this afternoon, and I wish I didn't. I, I was avoiding it purposely. Within about ten seconds, I saw, I saw streams of loser United fans really upset at Douglas Louise for dancing after he scored a goal. Thank God I didn't see this last night. Can you imagine the amount of <laughs> arguments I would have been getting into? How pointless that would have been. What a waste of a night. The whole the whole tone of their celebrations was, oh, isn't karma a bitch? Of all the teams, of all the teams I thought that would be used to other teams celebrating goals against them, Man United would be right <laughs> at the top. Why are they shocked that somebody scores a goal and he, he, he moves his shoulders? What, what is going on here with this crowd? Like, and this makes it worse. It was so bad on Boxing Day when all this happened because we know how bad United are. Like, that, that's what's so sickening about this game. And I know, I know I've been coming on here the last few weeks saying, can we not just play well? And we finally do play well. <laughs> and I have to say, that doesn't feel any better. It feels <laughs> 10 times worse. Because I think it feels worse because we're in the middle of this run. If we had a lost this, you know, a, a couple of months ago, playing this way, it's like, ah, well, you know what? That's going to happen sometimes. But we finally get it right again. We finally dominate the team. We play the way we're used to. It felt like the team was back. It was enjoyable watching this again. It was enjoyable watching how shite United are. And that just rips me to pieces now, thinking back about it. I'm on verge of tears here, trying to re- like rediscover this match again, going over it in my mind, because I had just tried to memory hold for the last day. I was so happy that we couldn't record last night. And you know what? It's, it's, it's not. I don't think it's doing me any favors now that we're right here talking about it again. Maybe the maybe the bullet in my head would have been better last night. <laughs> yeah, there, there are so many. There's so many Man United fans that it's easy to assume they're all idiots. Like, of, of course, of course, there are just a lot of idiots in the world and a lot of Man United fans. So the intersection of that Venn diagram has a lot of people. I know, I know that's what's happening, but still. There's, <laughs> there's an intuition I have. Me, me basal ganglia is it's tickling me. I, I, I think they're idiots, Connor. I think they're all idiots. There are too many of them talking proudly about yesterday. Be happy about the results, sure, but understand what happened. Like there, there are too many people out there. I don't know what they're watching when they're say they're watching football. Like, I, like I, I've been told, I've been told it was a perfect away performance. Like first, first off. That means you went you went out with a billion euro squad to keep it tight and nick a goal with a manager mm. who's been in the job for a hundred games. And, and and even aside the collapse in expectations in the fan base that that is that they're trumping it. Like for it to have been a perfect away performance, they would have had to be tight at the back and dangerous on the break. They were as about as tight at the back as I am after a two day wedding. They were fucking 
they were as loose as John Terry's morals. Like they were, they were, they were talking about Manu and and Casemiro given the front free, the platform to express themselves. Manu and Casemiro play like fucking buttons at the panto. They were, they were fucking clueless about Jacob Ramsey wandering around behind them. He was sneaking around behind their backs like John Terry. Hoyland <laughs> and Fernandez were paid five hundred grand last week to get in the way against Aston Villa. And like, I'm sorry, fair play to them. They were fucking brilliant at it. They closed the space really well and kept Clement Longley on his fucking toes. Like, well done, lads. Like, every single time I watch Man United, I am shocked, shocked by how awful they are. <laughs> About how little incision they offer in attack and how little resistance they offer in defence. And about how they've not, they've not progressed from Jose Mourinho. They've not progressed from what he was trying to achieve with his back six and the kick and rush football that they only moved away from for Solskjaer's first 10 games when Paul Pogba was injecting a bit of creativity into the game and a bit of Nandrel and, the, and these veins, it must be said as well. Like, they're a terrible team. They're a terrible fucking watch. And watching them take six points against us is the most oh. terribly confusing thing that I have ever spoken about in public. Apart from maybe on my wedding day, stepping through the subconscious trauma of my mother's professed distaste for my head colour 30 seconds after I was fucking born. Man, you are not challenging for Champions League football for goal difference of zero after 24 games. They're fucking shite. Scott McTominay is their top scorer in the Premier League in real life. Like, do you remember the frustration, but also the fun we were having with them? bundling over the line against Brentford and Sheffield United and Fulham last minute goals from McTominay and Maguire fucking knockdowns they Lindelof they volley home like we should have been fucking worried like you you joked you said Ten High just needs to lean into this McHoofball get the fucking ball up the pitch get the fucking ball in the air and I, and I can sit here and slag off Ten High for his lack of imagination the fucking Oh, the, the, the fragility of his ego, his inability to manage personalities, his inability to improve players. But I can't slag off his self-awareness. Eric Ten Hag has accepted that he's shite. Eric Ten Hag has leaned on the McHoofball. At least, at least Ten Hag has accepted that he's shite. And, and we've joked before. <laughs> we've joked before. What would Sean Dyche achieve if you let him have half a billion quid at a top six team? Well, fucking wonder no more because we're finding <laughs> out. <laughs> Sean Dice would actually do better, I suspect. You know, it took about four short corners during that game. Do you think Sean Dice would have allowed Bruno Fernandes to indulge himself the way he was there, the way we were defending? Fucking toss it in. Fucking insane stuff. You know, it would have been 5-0 up in the first 20 minutes if Dice was their manager. <laughs> Please stop. You're really not helping me. This is... <laughs> This is making it so much worse. I knew it was bad. I knew it was hard to take. And now it's impossible to take. And and what you say is right as well, because, you know, some of my best friends are Man United fans. <laughs> and I know some of them are sorry. I know some of them have their heads screwed on. I know some of them even know that it's not good enough where they're at. And it is the prevailing thought I had about them. We'll come to us now in a, in a minute. But... <laughs> Welcome to the United Podcast. But it, it makes me think this is their biggest problem. It's that they're accepting of the standards that they're at now. Like they, they're never going to get back to where they apparently want to get to if they are so accepting of this, if they are so accepting of 
Ten Hag leaning into hoofball, which he is right to do because he has no other plan. I mean, like, find Maguire, find McTominay. Like, that, that is his best. That was literally those two players that we talked about for the Brentford match. And there they are. There they are now, like, coming back to haunt us because that's all Ten Hag can do. But it reminds me of Liverpool of yesteryear as well, when, like, just, just the accepting of mediocrity with the players this is back in the early 2000s the, the players that you were hoping were going to be good enough and we've had this conversation before about villa players as well because obviously it probably happens in every fan base when people get a bit upset when you're criticizing players and things like that and it's like it's okay it's okay to want more it's okay to be demanding as you and i ever would say and to continue to try and improve and United aren't going to get there if they are happy with this. If they watched that game yesterday and thought, yeah, that, that's great. That's that's great. <laughs> You're never going to get there if they accept the David and Gogs of this world. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skide af alle de der podcasts og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. 's talk about the goals the first goal it's obviously Maguire and it was obviously common but I suppose we need to mention the build-up to this goal where Villa don't get a free which is really annoying as it is and then immediately Rashford gets a free for a dive it's pathetic and once again you have to think this is the really golden thing is that that referee is never going to watch that replay ever again it's not going to affect his life he's not going to carry it he's not going to have any extra weight. Although, not that he has much room for any extra weight. <laughs> but, you know, he he is going to sleep so easily. He's not going to ever care or be reminded again of Rashford diving and him giving a free. For somebody who really likes to pitch himself as, you know, lads, just fucking get on with it. Stop chatting to me. Like, he, he likes to sort of give that aura about him. He just got done by Rashford falling over himself. And then the cross comes in, the offside isn't picked up. I think it's Casemiro with his offside. And it goes out of play. Does it go out of play? <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think that one does. I think we we can accept it was only two out of three wrongs that 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 did for the build up to the corner. And like we've always said, once it's a corner, so you might as well give the goal. I, w- I was see when I was watching this game, I was watching Harry Maguire win every header. I was like, I think I would probably take two goals. Give the other team two goals if we didn't have to defend any corners. And they only got one goal from a corner. Maybe the other team maybe the other team would be stupid enough to take one goal off you. You don't get any corners and you start one nil up. 
Like we we would <laughs> honestly be way better off with that. And it's it's the third header in a row that Harry Maguire wins from a corner over Bobakar Kamara. Hoyland knocks it in. He doesn't cry this time, which I suppose is good. But for someone for someone who respects opposition defenses so much that he refuses to to whip any corner into the mixer. It's shocking that Austin McPhee doesn't want to make it harder for other teams to get chances from their corners. I mean, it's just like he does all the work for them. He takes away all their thinking. He puts Bobakar Kamara on Harry Maguire and says, there you go. Go for it, lads. And we have never, ever had any joy from our big men. I don't even know who they are since Tyrone Mings is gone. I can't pick anymore. But we, from our big men being free from corners and standing around the six-yard box apparently going to attack balls zonally they never they never win the fucking balls it's always the big man on the other team winning the ball over douglas louise falling over john mcginn for a penalty shot winning it over bubakar kamara <laughs> it's, a, it's an absolutely pathetic decision from rob jones initially like get rob jones fucking relegate him back to a fourth official he'll enjoy that more anyway he can treat lifting the board up as a drop set for his delts <laughs> <laughs> the guy, I know. I know. Gym culture has permeated almost every other culture. You know, people are working out more. Like we all, we all seem to have decided that being healthier and body and mind and living longer are good things. Fair play, Deus. Everyone's at it. But I think Big Bobby Jones did more yesterday to resurrect the caricature, the fucking stereotype of the meathead than I've seen anybody do in the history of fucking gym culture. Oh my <laughs> fucking god! Is Casemiro offside from the three? I don't really think so. He doesn't get near the ball. Maguire, Maguire then ragdolls Kamara in the build-up date as well as as Eric Ten Dyche's masterpiece is lofting through the air. And I'm not saying I want Rob Jones looking at that, but I want our fucking celebrity set-piece coach looking at it. Like, Kamara can't handle this. Like, why were we waiting? Like, yeah, fair enough, you fought before the game, Austin. You fought before the game that this was the best approach. You had your little laptop out. But your laptop can't fucking replicate Harry Maguire's head. There's no, there's no computer program that would accept those dimensions. Like, <laughs> Harry Maguire, for all his faults, and there are plenty of them, he's fucking brilliant in the air. If you don't we've know that, we've always advance, said that about him as well. We've always we've said very, it. very consistent with that. <laughs> if you don't know that in advance, like, sorry, I'm not even going to countenance that. I get angry enough as it is. But if, if but you were given five illustrations of your little plan not working before the goal. You, think he, you might be looking at this and thinking, look, it's the best we can do. We have to put up with it. But fucking grow up enough to admit that it's not working. By all means, block him. By all means, put Kamara out there. But United were just floating crosses under the box 10 yards away from our centre halves. And we did nothing about it except wait for them to score. The, 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 the goal that actually comes in from Highland Carlos did a lap of the fucking box to get out. He get out to the, the the ball and surprise, yeah. surprise, he doesn't get there. He gets there too late. <laughs> Fucking pathetic. And I'm not even just annoyed at Austin McPhee. I, I can't believe. I think this is shocking that this is okayed by so many coaches, by Unai Emery at the top of the mall. How, like, how have we gotten this far into the season being so ineffective from set pieces and from any cross in general that... Like, nobody has taken over this. Nobody has questioned it. How did we get five corners, three Harry Maguire headers into this game without somebody saying, hey, sort that the fuck out. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I, I honestly hold that against you and I, Emery, as well. Like, it can't be... Like, take over. This is your team. Anything you do, any any plan that you have, it's all undone by your inability, by, by Bubu Karakamara marking Harry Maguire. 
Yeah, like, try something else. Like, where's John McGinn's arse? Why is somebody not trying to get into Maguire's head? Maybe there's plenty of fucking room in there. Like, and David Carlos himself as well, even, he probably has to step out two yards further and just decide they're floating the ball to the edge of the box here every time. Yeah. And Maguire is winning this header on contest. I'm getting out there. And whenever you're getting out there, Diego, don't run around every other player in the fucking world. Run through them, the fucking size What have you been doing in the gym all this time? You're going to have to step around Garnacho. Get out to the yeah. fucking ball. We did get an equaliser. And it did come from a ball being whipped in, in fairness, to Austin McPhee, our celebrity coach. The ball comes deep into the box. And Marino does well, I think, to get it back in. Longley tries to hook it in, comes off a nana. And then Bailey drills it in, and Dougie smashes it in. They kept looking at the deflection, but it was going in anyway. And he does a little jig to celebrate its carnival time in Brazil at the minute. And that's the thing that really upset a lot of the United fans. But it was great, because at that stage, the goal was coming. And Jesus, it should have came way easier than this, and finally did come. And it was like, thank God, I go on and win this match now. Yeah, it's a really nice finish from Dougie. He, like, he, he does everything right and lifts it high. <laughs> You're being very, very nice to Leon Bailey there, saying he whips it in and it's actually back across, it gets deflected across. The, before that, though, the long lay flick, like I was initially surprised by the cleverness of it, but then I realised because he can't move his fucking feet, it was probably the only thing that was open to him. But can you can you imagine the tone of this podcast and this section in particular if we went on and won the game? Can you imagine the fun we'd be having? I probably would have been so giddy about Louise's celebration you could have slipped a fantasy football conversation under the fence or or asked what sort of shirt would have worked best to emphasize an apple shake <laughs> we and would then, have been we would have spent half the top of the show talking about how shite united are <laughs> and then the best moment of the match or what should have been was john mcginn grabbing the boys you know stop fucking celebrating let's go I, like, I thought he was looking to go on and win the match. Little did I know he was just trying to conserve their fucking energy because they were he could tell they were going to be running for the next 20 minutes. I'm not going to have a bad word said about McGinn. I've got a lot of nice things to say about him later on, but let's just get this over with, will we? The second goal for Man United and the winner. And, of course, it's McTominay. And, of course, it's just a cross. I mean, like, like Jesus. It was all the chances, chances. The game did die down a little bit. The ball goes down the right. I, I don't even remember feeling anything really it was just like just you know get that ball there's your space to block it there's nobody in the box really there's, there's Diego Carlos is in there Matt Cash is in there that should have said alarm bells ringing based on exactly what we saw against Chelsea exactly what we saw against Nicholas Jackson and that's right two times in one week we are coming on to a podcast to talk about Nicholas Jackson goal and a Scott <laughs> McTominay goal and both times it's a cross in and both times Diego Carlos doesn't know where he is and Matt Cash you know, Matt Cash might have just oversaw Nicholas Jackson the last time this time he gets a front row seat I mean literally it seems like he's just sitting on Scott McTominay and he's flying along the air he doesn't seem he doesn't seem to realize he should go and try and head the ball or put him off. He's just flying alongside him, <laughs> looking at the boy. It's, it's not like he's he's completely he bowled over. It's, it's chaotic. He doesn't know what's happening. His eyes are focused. Like, they are focused so well on the ball. And he's just watching it. He's just watching Scott McTominay head the ball and as he's flying alongside him. Yeah, Manu loses the ball, but sure, when, do, when does something like that ever work out for Aston Villa Football Club against Man United? Manu accidentally dribbles the ball into Dalo. 
And then look, it's a brilliant fucking cross after that. But what the <laughs> fuck? And then Jacob Jacob Ramsey does the right thing actually by going out, and he can see that Mino is obviously not going to face up Douglas Louise on the wing. But if Jacob Ramsey is closing down that space and leaving Diogo Dallo, he has to go on hard. Jacob Ramsey has to do this more in general. Jacob Ramsey doesn't go into tackles hard enough for a centre midfielder. He doesn't go in with enough conviction. He always looks like he's trying to nick it cleanly around somebody. That stage of the game, on the sideline, just go in hard and put that out for a throw-in. Don't be just standing there and letting them do a little shimmy around you. It's not his fault that fucking Manu lost the ball and Dallo's standing there. But you have to go in harder there. Don't be trying to nick the ball off him. And then Diego Carlos. I think it have been a bit harsh on Diego Carlos. Diego Carlos is occupied by Hoyland. Longley is occupied by his fucking imaginary friend, six yards in front of him. I don't know what he was playing at. And then Matty Cash, Yuri Tielemans, and Musa Diaby are more interested in passing the book than the fucking mortgage lenders are interested in passing it on the interest rates. It's fucking pathetic. The three of them are just standing there watching this cross coming. And, like, yeah, Matty Cash floating through the air like he's a glitch in a computer game is bad, but he needs a bit of help. Like, when Yuri Tielemans is standing at the corner of the box whenever Jacob Ramsey and Douglas Louise are already out there. Fucking Musa Diaby standing at the edge of the box with his hands out going, how is this happening? It's happening because we haven't defended deep enough. Get back into the box. They have the ball in the wing. There's no Man United player in the half other than fucking Scott McTominay and Garnaccio at the back post. If you come in there, if you even have a... Give a suggestion that you're going to go to Granacho. Maybe Matty Cash moves forward a little, but I don't know. I doubt it, but maybe he does. The worst of it is there was still 11 minutes to go after that. And you talk about over-celebrating Scott McTominay jumping into the way. And you know, he, he's not crying like Hoynan was the last time. But Jesus, it was like, my God, there's still loads of time for Villa to win this. Never mind, get back into it. But I should have known. I should have known once the <laughs> second soccer points happened. That was it. That was good night, Irene, from an Aston Villa point of view. Let's go to WhatsApp, wouldn't you? A few finds to run through first, two from Matt Cash, again, second successive podcast. He took a John McGinn shot in the second half, the start of the second half, from a, a corner. Thanks to loads of encouragement from the crowd as well. It went into the first pair of legs, obviously. Um, <laughs> and then he also he also conceded, like, Matt Cash does this far too often as well. An unnecessary foul in, in the corner, for Man United's corner, in Man United's own half, Casemiro, Casemiro's under so much pressure Matt Cash has just taken two awful touches to give him the ball but like now that you've given him the ball let's just see what he does with it he might give you a throw in at least and Cash just bundles him over he's so stupid sometimes and like, like anyway that's Matt Cash before we go on to the next players what do you have to say about him <laughs> I'm surprised he did uh, tackled Casemiro like that like stupidly I'm not surprised he tackled him stupidly I'm surprised he tackled him there was a moment in the start of the first half where Matt Cash was absolutely pegging it back towards his own goal because Rashford, Marcus Rashford, got the ball in his own half and Matty Cash just runs away, turns his back at him and starts legging it back towards Martinez and the rest of the back line all have to shuffle back with him. But where the fuck was he going? I think I had no idea what it... It was like he was sprinting back and then calling Kamara in to tackle him first so Matt Cash could mop up the loose ball or something. Kamara eventually gets back. But now Rashford's got the ball in the box because Matt Cash has given him the entire left wing to run into. Fucking bizarre stuff. Leon Bailey is fined as well. I mean, good to see him sign a new contract, but he's still not getting his week's wages. I don't know what that contract says, but he... (laughs) um, Right foot across, out for a goal kick. Whilst in the box, that that's just unacceptable. Now, this was after uh, Ollie Watkins is 
close to getting a fine, but we have no precedent set for this at the minute. But he, he was doing this thing he was doing a lot during that second half, stopping the ball dead at the edge of the box. Like, he, he was he was in full flight, and then he would stop it, like, like he was about to turn someone. But he just stopped, stood on the ball, and got clattered. And at this stage, Kamara won it back and goes to Bailey, and we still have a chance, and Bailey floats it out for a goal kick. And the only other fine was John McGinn throwing the ball straight out of play. Yeah. And I, I think in fairness to John McGinn, Leon Bailey looked like he was about to go running and then didn't, and McGinn chucks it out for a goal kick. Yeah, but it was a terrible throw anyway. I mean, like, Leon Bailey stopped running because the fucking throw-in wasn't on to there. It was over two United players, and the byline was only 10 yards behind him. Like, that's a stupid throw from John McGinn. It was like he remembered, you can't be offside from a throw-in, so I'll just fucking throw it. It was like, yeah, but you have to be able to fucking retrieve the ball for you to not to be offside, John. <laughs> The first WhatsApp winch. Who has put this stuff into Ramsey's head? <laughs> what what has happened to him? Who put who put it on his head? What, 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 where have all these negative thoughts come from? Where has all this crisis and confidence come from? Why does Jacob Ramsey forget who he is? Like what what is going on with this man? There's just so much lack of conviction you're talking about. He's tackling. Jesus Christ, the, the chances that he was getting, the positions he was picking up, getting the ball, and then instead of driving, passing it off, getting the ball and making it easier for United players. And you know what he does so often as well? And I will come to his chances in the Rossens all the world. But when he's running sometimes, like it's it's very easy you now for players to know he's going to pl- pass it to the player on the overlap. One stage, Bruno Fernandes made a tackle on Alex Marino because he telegraphs it all the time. No matter what, even if two players are tracking Alex Marino's overlap, Ramsey will put it to him anyway when he knows. He, he, he definitely knows. If he doesn't, that's even more worrying. He knows when I play that, that's being tackled and we might get a goal kick and, and he's, or we might get a throw-in. And he's happy to do it. And where has this mentality come from, from Jacob Ramsey? Strange, it, and he's always had a bit list in his game where he likes to play free balls. I think that's what it is. I think he's just one of those people who likes to pass the ball. Like he, 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 it feels better coming off his foot than just running with a ball. Does he likes to play the through ball? He likes to play the clever ball. Sometimes he's just playing it down the line to somebody in a worse position and a less talented footballer. It's a bizarre thing that he does. He absolutely needs to develop a killer. And it's a couple of times he was bearing down, and the man united back four, and then he's rolling the ball out to the wing. Not to fucking Moreno, not to Leon Bailey, to the opposition fullbacks most of the time. Just run at Varane. One shuffle, get your shot away. Well, maybe not you get your shot away the way you were playing yesterday, Jacob. But it, it is the, the, the lack of killer instinct. That's go- the, the fact that it's just drifted away from his game is really frustrating. And look, the last game and a half that Jacob Ramsey has had, he's looked a lot better than he has in the other games because his season's been so interrupted. And maybe that's a large part of it as well. Maybe not playing a lot of football at this level will get into your head, will affect your performance, will affect your decision-making. But Jesus Christ, he needs to be a lot fucking roof, a lot more ruthless in those situations against this backline as well. I mean, he was running at Varane and Harry Maguire. Keep running. This is it. Picking up the positions, which was good. It was good. Like, you know, uh, in a way, him starting, it was good to see. And it was exciting. And he was getting in behind. And he was running. Uh, obviously, he's technically good. 
it's it's the ruthlessness. It's 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 he's not a killer anymore, and he used to be. He used to think he was better than everyone, and now he, for some reason he believes that he's not, and that like, that is the biggest problem, and it's a big problem that he has right now, and it's all I'd be focusing on with him because I don't know who you put it in his head. I don't know if he's hanging out with Jack these days, where they believe <laughs> that you know maybe maybe boys from around these neck of the woods just aren't going to get on. But, like, Jesus, you can. You were doing it. You are that player. And he needs to just believe that he can do it. It does, yeah. Like, there's a lot of times you were watching him yesterday. He looked like he looked like somebody who was too good for the, you know, the, the work five aside he was playing in. So he's just passing the ball off to people. Just keep fucking running with a ball, Jacob. Do something more creative than playing it down the line to somebody in a worse position. Strange. The second WhatsApp winch. I'm going to give you a list of three players, right? <laughs> Casemiro, Fernandez, Longley. Which of these players got a yellow card for dissent? <laughs> <laughs> Casemiro. I mean, he just got a yellow card. I, I mean, we've seen we've seen Diego Diego Dalo get red card for less at Anfield for for dissent. Casemiro spent over a minute. Like given out to the whole stadium about a decision that the referee made, given out to the linesman, given out to the referee, and the referee just accepted it. Bruno Fernandez boots the ball away twice, and then his tackle on Bailey was outrageous. I thought they were going to look at that for a red card. Bailey just nicks the ball away from him, and he comes in, studs up, and nothing, just to talk to because the ref didn't even want to give a free until the linesman gave the free. So the ref comes over, feels the need to say to him, be careful there, pal. Fernandez, Fernandez got out of that game without a yellow card, and then Longley gets a yellow card, and nobody ever saw why. It was because he finally had to dish one out to a United player, and he just felt compounded to do it to a Villa player at the same time. Yeah, the the Casemiro one. It, it, it looked like it looked like he was going to start going into the stands looking for witness statements or something. He was whinging so much; it was bizarre behavior. And I, like, I, I appreciate Rob Jones. On one level, just ignoring it, like let's let's let this lad make a fucking tit of himself in front of forty five thousand people. Let's just let him make an absolute mug of himself on TV in front of two million people. He looks like a fucking child. He's a multi millionaire, thirty five year old man. Let's not forget, and he's standing there looking absolutely in disbelief at the idea that he got a yellow card for a yellow card tackle as Matt Cash was running past him. It's bizarre stuff. And are you, are you sure Bruno Fernandez didn't get booked? I can't believe. I I honestly can't believe that. That's I'm 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 struggling with something to say to that because I I can't accept that that's actually true. He must have gotten booked for the tackle. Yeah, no, no booking for Bruno Fernandez, not for that tackle. No, no, no way. It wasn't even a foul. Casemiro and Manu, That was the only yellow cards that United got. Longley, Cash, Diaby all got yellow cards for Aston Villa. <laughs> that is fucking insane. Yeah, the last WhatsApp winch I have. Gary Neville. I mean, I'm, I'm running out of things to talk about this lad. Sometimes I, I think I like Gary Neville, but he needs to get. Well, he, we, we, again, we've mentioned this before. He needs to just get off the box every so often. <laughs> he needs to get off every single thing that I'm consuming. And in fairness to him, I'm obviously consuming it all. But like, it shouldn't be on Cocon for United hey, games. Hang on, what do you mean? In fairness to him. We've talked about this not because Gary Neville's there that you're consuming this. That's completely incidental. You're consuming it because Aston Villa are playing Manchester United. Yeah. 
I mean, his podcast and all as well. I mean, that that's my fault, obviously. Oh, that's but, your fault. You're sorry. I didn't realize you're such a big dickhead as that. <laughs> Fuck me. Man. But, but he's just... There's three things that you need to point out here. Right? Obviously, the there is getting unbelievably frustrating. It's, it's, it's a caricature now at this point. Just point and then he was surprised that Rashford went off in this match. Genuinely surprised. It's like, what are you, What game are you watching? He didn't seem to realize as well, by the way, that, that Villa were all over United. Like, he didn't seem to piece oh those God. puzzles together because three, three different times he said Villa dominating down the left-hand side. Like they were getting in down the left. Then he said Jacob Ramsey is getting in behind Manu and Casemiro all the time. Then in the second half, it was Villa are dominating down the right hand side. I was, I was thinking someday he's going to realize what he's saying. He's basically <laughs> just said Villa are getting through down the left, down the middle, and down the right. <laughs> and he was watching that game through the prism of Man United putting in a great away performance. That's what he was doing. He was watching that, thinking that because at one stage, Garnacho ran through two players and had a shit shot. He's thinking this is going really well and he can't believe Rashford would come off because remember, he carried the ball for 15 seconds and then got blocked down. <laughs> and then, to top it all off, he gave Harry Maguire man of the match. He gave Harry Maguire man of the match. Harry Maguire didn't do anything wrong in this match. Kicked a couple out of play. You know, you could say he was just safety first to a fault, but he was just doing it. Might as well do that rather than make a mistake. And he got man of the match though. He got man of the match for... For setting up the first goal, I assume that was all he did. Gary Neville's strange, strange man. I mean, like he, he talked about Ramsey getting in all the time. He talked about Villa dominating down the left. That's where the danger is. And then whenever Shaw went off, he said that's caused a big problem. The like this is this is the level of analysis that Gary Neville has. He just knows that Lindelof's not a fullback. So now he's just decided that's where the problem is. He's just now decided that Aston Villa are making hay because Luke Shaw's gone off. That, that even though he had spent the previous. 50 minutes talking about Aston Villa dominating the game. and But, oh, sorry, not only that, as he was talking about Aston Villa dominating the game repeatedly, he also said, it's been pretty even. United edge it with the goal. Like, what the fuck? You just explained how much Aston Villa are dominating their game. And just after Villa scored as well, he said, there's been a massive mood change. Gary Neville didn't see the equaliser coming. Yeah. It was like he was watching a porno and didn't see the man coming. Like, oh, where did that come from? What's happened there? Like, oh, a strange, strange human being. Starting the game, he said, Jacob Ramsey has been brilliant for Villa this season. Jacob yep. Ramsey at that point of the day had played well when he came off the bench against Brighton four and a half months ago. That's the sum total of Jacob Ramsey's season for Aston Villa. But Gary Neville just knows his name, knows he's a centre midfielder, and knows that England probably should upgrade and Jordan Henderson come the next fucking tournament. He said, he said John McGinn was ineffective in the number 10 position as well, where I was watching that match thinking, Jesus, this is great. At least now we know that John McGinn should be playing here the whole time. <laughs> but we're going to come to a lot of that. We're going to come to the Glenn Whelan Award, I think, first after this. Good evening. I wanted to speak directly to our supporters to confirm the transfer of our captain, Jack Greenlish. And now we've been gutted, organ donors for the rich, Boston's taking our kidneys, Yankees are taking our heart. And to explain the background to this move. It's an unfair game. We offered Jack a new contract to stay at the club. Like this is business as usual, it's not. 
we agreed to incorporate a so-called release clause into his contract. Billy, that's trouble. Billy, if I may, uh, he certainly has had his problems off the field. Jack finally decided that he would like to go to City. We're trying to solve the problem here, Billy. Not like this, you're not. You're not even looking at the problem. We have planned accordingly. We've got to think differently. It was never our intention to replace Jack with one footballer. Guys, we're still trying to replace Gian. I told you we can't do it. We can't do it. Our strategy was to analyze and break down Jack's key attributes. Now, what we might be able to do is recreate him. We create him in the aggregate. What? A walk. His creativity, his assists, his goals. That's what we're looking for. And to find these qualities and others in three forward players. Three ball players, three ball players. And in doing so, have also reduced an over-dependency on one brilliant footballer. Add that up and you get... Emiliano Buendia, Leon Bailey and Danny Ings. They truly are the future. If we try to play like the Yankees in here, we will lose to the Yankees out there. I don't know what that means. Okay, let's get into it. You like Glenn Whelan take a 90th minute penalty award. You took Leon Bailey off when Lindelof was playing left back award. <laughs> I don't care if that's what we do. I don't care if you think Leon Bailey can only play 70 odd minutes. I I actually had a headline in my head written for the podcast for this. I was going to try and convince you to come on on Sunday night and let's just do the podcast because this is too good to not do. I had 90-minute Bailey because I was thinking this is the game. This is the game to just play him for 90 minutes because he had warmed his way into it. I know I might have texted you saying we shouldn't start Leon Bailey you know, during that first half. Full stop. Just because Ever. Full stop. Just, just because... <laughs> but because the ball felled him for that volley, remember the left foot, and he yeah. tries to bring it on to his wrist. Like, what are you doing? Leon Bailey coming off the bench to win matches doesn't normally do that. But when he started them, <laughs> it was suddenly it was a bit weird. But then he got into the groove, and we got going, and it was like, okay, just keep feeding him. It reminded me of the the, the analogy. Remember the one that got Roy Hodgson in trouble? Was, was he manager of England at the time when he? Uh, and, and Ross Townsend of all players as well that he was going on about the idea was to keep giving Andros Townsend the ball and the analogy he used was about a space shuttle launch and there was a uh, an astronaut an astronaut there with a monkey and the astronaut was giving a monkey bananas because every time he gave the monkey a banana the monkey knew what to do and every time the astronaut would radio back saying you know, what do you want me to do and they just kept saying to him just keep feeding the monkey it's working well now they're like very unfortunate, very probably silly analogy for Roy Hodgson to use. But that reminded me of that, where it was like, keep giving the ball to Leon Bailey. This is working. Keep feeding this man. It's going to, it's going to happen. We're getting in. Lindelof is on a string. Let's just keep going the way we're going. Yeah, I mean, I think that had stopped about 10 minutes before Leon Bailey came off. I don't think, I don't think we were playing well at all. And Unai Emery certainly didn't think we were playing well either. I mean, Unai Emery was going fucking mental on the sideline. There was one moment when when John McGinn ran into the corner flag and he turned around to see a pass go to Casemiro. 
And John McGinn stood there with his hands out complaining. John McGinn, like Casimir was only about 10 yards away from him, if even. And John McGinn just stood there complaining because he was fucked. Because Aston Villa were fucked. I don't know. I know we dominated the game and put a lot into it. But I'm really surprised about how much of a collapse there was there. And the, the other problem here is that I think Unai Emery looks at his bench and he sees Musa Diaby and he thinks, wow, we, we've got some sort of equivalent player here, another player that can stretch the game, another player that's got a bit of magic in his feet. The only equivalence is that they both played for Leverkusen and now they're both paid by Aston Villa because whenever we've got Diaby on the pitch, it's not the same player as as Leon Bailey. It's It changes the game entirely whenever we have to switch to having Diaby there, especially because he just won't try Diaby on the wing. What is this about? Play Diaby on the right wing. He's out there a lot more than he normally is uh, yesterday, but Diaby has to be tried in the same position as Leon Bailey as well. Try and give him a bit of space. Try and get him to build up a bit of head of steam. Try and get him to work himself into the game. The minute he's just receiving the ball and then passing it off or just losing it because it's coming into his feet and he doesn't want it with his back to goal. So I, I think that's a big problem. I think we needed to make changes. I think whenever you look at the bench and you've got you've got someone like Yuri Tielemans there, someone who has played very well for 50 minutes in a lot of games, you've only got 30 minutes left in the game, you might think, Jesus, here's a player who's going to come off the pitch for 20 minutes this year. Get Yuri <laughs> Tielemans on. And we know Yuri Tielemans is brilliant, but John McGinn was fucked. Leon Bailey had stopped had stopped terrorising Man United, and it wasn't because we'd stopped giving them the ball. It just wasn't working as well. United were going deeper as well. Maybe it made more sense to get Yuri Tielemans on, have a little bit more intricacy on the ball. I, the, the team had stopped working a lot longer, or a lot more before we brought off Leon Bailey. I don't think that was necessarily the problem. Although, it would have been brilliant to have Leon Bailey staying on the pitch and saying that. Yeah, it was one of those games. I think he just has to... You have to feel it a little bit. Maybe, maybe right. Maybe we did die down a little. I do recall him being very frustrated at Villa's lack of energy pushing up on the ball. Like he, even at one stage, he was roaring at was it Cash or somebody like that or Diaby? It might have been Diaby who was only on the pitch as well. And he, he was he was having to roar at him to push just five meters further forward, and he didn't even do it, which is worrying as well. Like he just, it's like I, I thought. You know, when somebody like Emery's roaring at you, the players just snap into it, especially players fighting for their place. But uh, it just it just felt like it merited keeping Bailey on and and just finding a way, getting your way back into the match and keep like he was asked about it after because it was an obvious question to ask, and the, his only answer really was just you know he brought the Abbey on, then he wanted to bring Telemans on. He didn't, he didn't actually answer the question, but he was thinking, "Shit, I, I've only brought the Abbey on. I can't bring him back off if I want Telemans on." And I was thinking, <laughs> <laughs> "Just fucking bring him back off." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Bailey and the Abbey linked up fairly decently as well but even at the start at the first five minutes they're on the pitch together but that, even that fills out a little bit as well i i do think i do think bailey was coming up was fading away from the game a little bit and it made sense i think to bring on to bring on tielemans try and get a bit more control in it i don't know i i don't think that was our problem i think missing the fucking chances was the problem like it's, it's hard it's hard for me to have too much of a go at at unai emery yesterday because we should have won that game like if, if we if we were better in that game than we were against Brighton, this is the way we scored the fucking chances we created. Like mm. we had so many chances. So like like we said, how many times did Jacob Ramsey pick up the ball and behind like that? He was just he was he had the ball in front of the Man United back four so fucking often it was yeah. a joke. United yeah. couldn't didn't know what to do and 
we kept getting chances, kept getting opportunities to get chances as well. It wasn't yeah. just like, you know, we were creating chances. It was like, Jesus Christ, just a split second quicker in that pass or, you know, an inch further to the left. And we've just got another chance for free on goal again. We played really fucking well. I don't think I don't think Liam Brayley coming off was the issue. It was not fucking scoring was the issue. Mm. And the other issue, obviously, was it's probably the winner of the Utah Glen. We didn't take a 90th minute penalty award. Is this corner setup and the inability to get ahead on any cross in open play or in set play? But Kamara or Maguire has to be the the winner. And you say chances like we chances to create chances. Absolutely, there were so many of them, but there were also a lot of chances. So let's do the Ronnie Rossenthal award. <laughs> and, I've divided this up into players. I've divided it up into players because there's a lot of chances, but I want to find out which player specifically was the most annoying. John McGinn really had the the one chance. I know at the end of the the first half, I think he he did a bit of Bertrand Terori there where he he just forgot what he was doing. He was in the box with the ball and he was just arsing everybody and he pirouetted (laughs) the ball out of play eventually. He was just holding everybody off of his arse. Not trying. Everybody was calling for the ball to hit the box, and he seemed to forget about it. And he just tried to spin somebody and just scooped it out a play for a goal kick. But he had his one rasper from I think Watkins went and retrieved the ball. Unana came out trying to do a sweeper keeper thing, and he headed the ball to a very dangerous area for United. And Watkins went and got it and gave it to him again, and he, and he let fly. It's, it's too close to the keeper, but a lot of power behind him. Yeah, it was almost like Watkins getting Onana involved in the game reminded John McGinn of the possibilities here of getting Onana involved in the game. So he had it straight at him. But like, yeah, it's not... They were talking about that shot as if it was something magical. I mean, he hit it really fucking hard, but he did hit it straight at, as much as it pains me to say it, a professional footballer. <laughs> he did win a corner off Onana from the free kick as well. Free kick wasn't hit that well. I mean, Moreno and Bailey, I think it was, were in... Sorry, Onana. don't get me wrong. Onana is fucking shite. That was so bizarre. Like he carried John McGinn's ball out. Like he, thought, he thought he was doing the right thing. It's like he didn't know where he was in the pitch. Yeah. He grabbed the ball and just kept moving over. He could have stopped as well because he wasn't moving that fast. The fucking ball certainly wasn't moving that fast. No, the ball was bouncing into him. And it was not only was it bouncing into him, Connor, it was bouncing into the side netting as well. It's like, like he literally didn't know where he was in the pitch, either across the byline or deep in depth in the pitch. He had no fucking clue where he was. So he's, he didn't realise the ball was going wide. He didn't realise if he dives backwards, he's going to be off the fucking pitch. Insane stuff. I, I can't believe other teams aren't looking at this. Like, Moreno is in there and he, he, he starts patting him and, and laughing with him. And Onana gets distracted. He actually gets distracted. Only a, few weeks, <laughs> only a few weeks ago we were playing United and they were doing this. And he's seen... It's, it's like... I think we was it Onana? It was somebody else we were talking about this before. But do you know when you're you're trying so hard to show that you're not affected mm. by something, then you are like, like the fact that you're trying to show you're not affected is worse. Like you're distracted then, and he's laughing with Moreno. He's he's actually getting involved instead of just keeping an eye on the exact same free kick we're going to try and do to score. Do you know depressingly, I actually think that was Stephen Gerrard, either Ezri or Ira Ezri Kanza we were talking about. <laughs> Pretend that he's not bothered by something. <laughs> But like Ananik, how many times did Ananik kick the ball out of play yesterday? There was one where he kicked the ball into the crowd above Emery. Like, and there was no United player anywhere near. I have no idea what he was trying to do there. And it was so overhit as well. So like not, mm. not only is there no United player there, even if there was, he's hit he's overhit it by about 20 yards. Insane stuff. 
Ollie Watkins, the studio Ollie Watkins round. I mean, he had a bad miss on Onana. McGinn, like Ramsey coming down the left, drills it into McGinn. McGinn first time to Watkins. And I don't know know what he's waiting on. He just won't go to the ball. He's trying to get his feet right. And he just lets Onana come out and make the save. It's just so... And he gave Onana another save then as well. Matt Cash actually did well. Won the ball back. He didn't double back on himself. He took it to the... Byline, he found Watkins inside, hits it straight at Onana, and then he has a header from another Matt Cash cross straight at Onana. Unbelievably, he gave Onana three saves today. <laughs> yeah, that was well, the one he waits for the ball. I mean, run at it and knock it around, Onana. Like, you know, Onana has gone down. Like, Onana does well, but he's he's gone down to his knees, so now you don't hit it at him, <laughs> run around him. And he actually ends up jumping into the ball. Like, it, it almost looks like. It almost looks like he's tackling it, but by the time he gets there, he's panicked so much. The ball is rolling under his feet, and then he's off both of his feet by the time he hits it. It actually comes out then to Moreno, and he attempts an overhead kick, which is one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in the football pitch. And that's during an Eric Ten Hag Manchester United performance as well, so that's saying something. And yeah, to be fair to the much maligned Matty Cash, he actually does brilliantly to realise that Lindelof is playing left-back and just runs yeah. by him, because Bailey's gagging for the ball and he just runs past him swings in it's a brilliant run from ollie Watkins, a really ollie Watkins-esque run unfortunately it's a fucking ollie Watkins-esque finish as well and the header he's just too far out it's, it's, I'm, not, I'm wondering why he's even trying to head that the power he has to generate from from the cross as well he's in a standing position it's he's never going to score from that yeah I've got three for Jacob Ramsey here. The one that Moreno plays him inside would have been a nice assist, fantasy football wise. Uh, Ramsey doesn't get any bend. It just just pokes it wide, basically, after getting into the box well. And then the Bailey breakaway gives the ball to Ramsey. He feeds it through to Ramsey perfectly, and he trips over himself. This this was one of the saddest things I've ever seen on the pitch. He just... Like, he just assumed there'd be players all over him and it was like he wanted players to be all over him and when they weren't he poked the ball fell over and looked shocked that he had all that space and then immediately after chance to redeem himself bailey pulls it back for him and it's just such a tame effort rolls and i think there was two players in the line ended up clearing it away but jesus it was trickling towards him yeah, the the one without the bend on it. I mean, it's it's such brilliant, simple football from Villa as well. Like they just they get up the pitch in three passes, and they're all brilliant passes as well. <clears throat> but if this was a fucking golf course, he'd get a lifetime ban for cutting up the fairway so much. I don't know what the fuck that was. He kicks the ground almost before he kicks the ball. It's pathetic. The Bailey, the Bailey free ball. Bailey, Bailey actually fucks up the pass to his right initially because there's two Villa players in. I think it's Watkins and Ramsey. And yeah. then he finds the pass brilliantly. Like it's, and it's a really good second run from Ramsey as well, rather than just standing there complaining the first pass didn't come. He corrects oh, yeah, it. Thank he God he made that run. <laughs> he makes the run. And I think you're being harsh. He just takes a really, really shit touch. Maybe he's not expecting the pass to be that good from Bailey, but he fucking should. Why have you made the run? Otherwise, you can see you're going to be through on goal here. Control that ball with your right and hit it with your left. It's such a nice, nice bit of play from Leon Bailey. And then, speaking about nice pieces of play from Leon Bailey, the pullback to Ramsey is brilliant. And fucking Emery, shiting on about the connection between the supporters and the players. 
It's time they start focusing on the connection between the players and the fucking ball. I am sick of this. Aston Villa players just swinging at the ball and either missing it or trickling it into fucking absolutely terrible, although admittedly, <laughs> professional football goalkeepers. I was thinking about this. Probably could have been a WhatsApp one when I was going through Ollie Watkins' chances and I was like, the absolute affront of this guy to be given out about supporters giving out. And then he... <laughs> And you know, Watkins is my favorite player. You know, I rep Watkins. You know, you know, I love everything that he brings to the team. But, I mean, you can't be giving out about supporters and then not holding up your end of the bargain then when the ball drops you three times in the box. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. Like, not... <laughs> Not hitting the ball is is absolutely is absolutely pathetic. I, I can't I can't emphasize that enough. Douglas Louise had two chances. Diaby plays a ball, Ramsey with a nice dummy, and Douglas Louise doesn't catch it. And and then like Jesus, talk about not catching it. <laughs> and Diaby did a sort of Bailey in fairness to him. We were saying he should have kept Bailey on, but if he gets to the line, he pulls it back, Ramsey steps over. Douglas Louise with a Ramsey type of shot and then <laughs> up steps Douglas Louise again. Did Diogo like the, the, the clearance from Dallow is straight to Douglas Louise? It bounces for him so kindly. And it's like he tries to carefully side foot it with his left foot on the volley and he hits it with his toe. He just sort of cuts across it. It was such a bad connection. All he McGinn said afterward, if that falls he's right, you know, we're going to win that game two or three one. I was like, does it matter that it's fallen to his left? Just smash it. He's about eight yards out. Yeah, you're, you're saying just smash it. I mean, I've seen better connections in rural Ireland. It's fucking pathetic. I mean, <laughs> they didn't even have to smash it. Like, he's trying to side foot it. So fucking side foot it. Like, you put it into the bottom corner. That's what you're trying. Don't stud it. Don't stud it into Anana's waiting arms, his grateful waiting arms. It was absolutely pathetic. He didn't have to smash it. He just put it in the net. He's eight yards out of a bouncing ball, and he essentially misses the ball. It's fucking pathetic. And then they're not Rossens all awards, but they're they're two really annoying nominations. Diaby ruining that break from Douglas Louise and John McGinn, and Douglas Louise busts his balls to get to the far side of the move again, and there's a man over, and Diaby just like, Jesus. I think he forgets how to curl the ball now. He, he just slices it out of play. And then Matt Cash on his left foot straight at Nunana from the corner of the box. Fuck me. Yeah, I mean, like, the yeah, best thing you can say about that was it was on target. But Austin McPhee, Austin McPhee needs to get Musa Diaby into a room and use the hypnosis skills that he's used on Uno Emery to trick him into extending his contract. <laughs> and, and sit down with Diaby and remind him of the player that he is. Because whenever Diaby was going through there, I don't think anybody believed he was going to score. Like There was no excitement. The crowd wasn't up as much as you would expect with your winger steaming yeah. down on goal with no Man United players around until he fucking turns back onto his left and lets him get back in and around. It was absolutely bizarre stuff from him. I mean, if that was Leon Bailey, the fucking roof would have been lifted off just as they saw him running on to the ball, never mind after he put it in the fucking net. <laughs> That's it. You just know he's going to balls it up anyway. He's, he's going to... His pass isn't going to be right. He's going to run into trouble and lose it. He's going to come back out with the ball or he's going to take a wild shot like that. It's just uh, lack of cutting edge. It's Jacob Ramsey type of thing. <laughs> Is there, what's what's the winner? I mean, who who's the player that wins this? Is it Watkins? I think I have Ramsey, to be honest. 
Uh, I, th- I think I think because Douglas Louise is such a stark miss, it has to be that. I mean, it, the ball's dropped up to him for a volley eight yards out. Yeah, that, that's fair enough. The Peter Enkelman What the Fuck Award. Douglas Louise, the Clement Longley with, with Hoyland right behind him. And Bruno Sorry, you could have stopped that a lot fucking earlier. Why is Douglas Louise ever passing the ball to Clement Longley? Especially when we're playing Man United. Just get the ball forward. We're seeing how this is working. Jacob Ramsey is standing free. The camera wasn't up far enough up the pitch, but I know he is. Just fucking pass the ball to him. Facing the pattern of this game. I know Jacob Ramsey is free there. Give him the ball. And we finally get a free kick. And we finally get the ball back in play from that free kick. And Cash gives us straight to connection. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe those stripes in Garnacho's eyebrows are fucking urban camo, Conan. I don't know. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe they work like Man United's bird shit jersey, and he just disappears into the crowd. Like, and, and, and in what world does Matty Cash think he has a long range pass across the pitch in his armory as well? Surely, in Matt the same Cash... world that he thinks he has a long range throwing <laughs> and a long range shot. <laughs> Let's do the Vimin meter, will we? Let's put this bloody game to bed. And one thing I will say before we move on to the Vimin meter is just, it really doesn't matter. You, you've touched on it there about Emery talking about the connection with supporters. And that, that has been the tone of the last month. And it's been a bit of a, I suppose, internal battle between fans and stuff as well. It's like, you know, look, the players have given us an unbelievable 13 months. Can we just support them now when it's going bad for a few weeks? Can we get behind them? And then the players themselves are echoing that and the fans were there the fans were brilliant they, they did stay with them they dragged them back into it they you know even when they went behind a second time they stayed with them they supported them and ultimately it doesn't really matter does it, it doesn't matter how much work you and i Emery does as well it doesn't matter how well villa play how much they fight back from adversity if they can never just defend the corner, if they can never head clear across into the box, none of it matters. Like, what is the point of everything Emery does if he's not going to take control over that department as well? Yeah, it's strange. I think that is definitely something that he needs to he needs to sort out because we're conceding far too many chances from it. We're also not scoring enough goals from it. So, like, the reward isn't there. Villa are absolutely brilliant in game from open play. We're absolutely amazing. We're not. We're not amazing. From set pieces, that's just that's just an absolutely myth perpetrated by the hypnotist that is sitting on our bench next to an Emery. And even <laughs> even when you think about it, it was so easy for United to create chances just by swinging the ball into the box. But did we try a corner that wasn't just drilling it straight to United forehead at the front post yesterday? I don't think we did. <laughs> Let's do the Vyman meter. Go on down, Austin McPhee. Go on down. <laughs> Diego Carlos. I mean, you get six minutes of injury time and you're thinking, okay, okay, that's that's enough time to, to get a chance against these chumps. And then you have to start deducting the Diego Carlos tax. You remember, you remember six minutes of out of time is going to be eaten into very quickly watching Diego Carlos stand on the ball, weighing up his options. And the, the thing is, it's not only that he, he spends minutes, minutes every game standing on the ball, when he actually... Does decide to make a pass. A lot of time, he's forcing a pass that's not on. Then he eventually just gives it away after wasting all that time. Yeah, like yeah, definitely not going up is the ball up the fucking pitch whenever Diego Carlos has it. Like, 
the ninety ninety sixth minute passing the ball around for the previous thirty or forty seconds and look, Connor, and I'm I am interested in keeping possession until a chance until a chance develops. You you know I rep not just kicking the ball away endlessly. <laughs> so I, I want I want the players passing the ball around, waiting for the angles to come, waiting for something interesting to develop, waiting for a pass into the midfielders to be on. What I don't want is, is Diego Carlos standing there because I know he can't fucking see the pass anyway. What I don't want is him to stand there. And then whenever the ball eventually comes back to him, it's him floating a fucking cross into Anana's hand from the centre half position yeah. that he was standing yeah. on and refusing to do anything with for the previous 30 seconds. So he's standing there doing fucking nothing with the ball and then the ball eventually comes. Do you think we were giving you back the ball because we wanted you to float this in? Yeah, that's why the ball keeps coming back to you. It's because we're waiting for a, th- a bit of fucking space to open up. We're not saying, you do something, Diego. We're just, re- we're just recycling the ball so something more interesting can happen. And there is nothing fucking interesting about floating the ball in Dionana's hands. <laughs> Remember the days we were hammering City and beating Arsenal? <laughs> and I know we can't compare people to Pau Torres, but... You know, remember the ball just kept dropping back out to Pau Torres and bang, he was pushing it forward and he was pushing it sideways and he was getting every, he was getting the ball going again he was getting boys back in play again. Not crossing the ball back into the keeper's hands or out of play. Very yeah. frustrating. Actually, while we're on it, going down, the decision to rush Pau Torres back, not even rush it back, <laughs> pretend like he was back. You know, oh look, they can't they can't handle Konza being out probably long term. So let's let's give them some good news today, will we? That's exactly what they did. So, uh, suddenly they're giving us all the training pictures. They they keep this stuff under a secret cloth for most of the time. And then it was like, look who's training today, look who's on the bench today. And then a day later or a game later, look who's on the bench today as well. And look who doesn't come off the bench again. It's Pau Torres. He's not back. Don't tell me he's back. Because now I know for certain I've got two games of evidence that he's actually indeed not back. I don't feel any better about him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you have just fucking reminded me of Reminded me of that Man City game where the ball was just... It was almost like... It's not only were they just getting the ball and banging it forward again. They were... Him and Konza were just moving forward each time. They were like a fucking wall closing into somebody who's stuck down a... Down a well in a... In a... In a villain's house who's there just slowly moving the wall of spikes towards them. It was so magical to see. I was constantly getting the ball rolling it out right, getting another cross in from Leon Bailey or Pau Torres just putting the ball wherever the fuck he wanted it. Incredible. Kanza and Torres, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Going down, I think Ollie Watkins has to go down. Uh, uh, he... Wally, Wally Watkins, sorry, you're going to say it, but his touch, his hold yeah. up play was dreadful at periods of that second half. Absolutely non existent, you would even say, as well. And so unlike Ollie Watkins. So unlike the ball's bouncing off him every time, every time, off his chest, off his foot. Very, very bad, very frustrating. Matt Cash probably wants to go down just because of his touch and just because of his inability to pick people up in the box. Always running into trouble when he's not running back out with the ball. I know he created a couple of chances. He's one of these boys that sometimes you're like, ah, you know, he, he gets, he nicks in sometimes and intercepts the ball and drives up the pitch. But it's always, always just feels a bit out of control, not in a good way, not in a Leon Bailey way. With Matt Cash, just feels like at any stage, it's, the bricks are going to come off, like like the Jamaican bobsleigh team. You know, it's they're flying down in record pace, but it's not going to last. They're going to crash at some stage. Yeah, going down, Matty Cash down his own fucking pitch back towards Emmy Martin. It's because Marcus Rashford has the ball. 
I think going down has to be Longley. His record is, is absolutely abysmal with Aston Villa. It's, it's unbelievable. I know it's not all down to him, but you know it's there's yeah, the, there's a few the, common denominators here. And also, he's the winner of the Ashley Westwood Award today as well. Yeah, the first five games of his of his Aston Villa career as well. He should have been stat padding in the Conference League. How the fuck is his record that bad? But yeah, you're right. He wasn't. He, we weren't able to get him into into the game at all. Like we didn't have that platform from our centre halves. And I did touch on this, and I was being a little bit facetious. But Hoyland and Bruno Fernandes actually did close down the space really well, and we couldn't get our centre halves dictating play. Now, whenever it's Longley and and Diego Carlos, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I do think that Hoyland and and Fernandez closed the space really well and did press well from high up the pitch. Do you know the only person I have going up, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts, is John McGinn. I think John McGinn was really good. I liked him in the number 10 role. I like him in, in midfield, and we can probably mention Bubakar Kamara now as well. He's out for the season, a third ACL injury for Aston Villa, which is just ridiculous in the one season. And three players and like three different positions. I mean, you can have a spine there of Mings, of Kamara, of Buendia, the whole way up the pitch. All three of them could start for Aston Villa and be very effective for them. The So that, like, that's a big miss. McGinn might end up filling in there and it might be the right move. Maybe it'll be Tim because you don't want to drop Dougie too far back. You don't want to drop McGinn too far back. I like McGinn further up the pitch. I thought he got more out of Watkins than we've seen in the last while. Maybe that's down to United as well. But just... I was watching this game like again, expecting the win to come. And I was just thinking, and it's it's definitely not the podcast to get hung up on this, but we're going to be talking about John McGinn for decades. <laughs> we really are. Like he's just he's some character, he's some player, he's got everything. I don't know where his ceiling is because he keeps improving. When I say he's got everything, I mean he's got everything he love in a player, everything you want them to do, and that includes continuing to improve, continuing to upgrade, even on Instagram. He's, he's very funny anyway in general, but Tyrone Mings posted another recovery update <laughs> talking about can't wait to get back. And John McGinn replies, nothing left in your locker, by the way, but great to see. <laughs> <laughs> this is before the game, by the way, the day before the game as well, so it's acceptable. And the interview afterwards as well, I thought it was so spot on. He said he was sickened. He said they should have won and already do win. He's right. They did play really well. They played much more like it. He knows they hadn't been good. He knows that was the game that they were much better in. And to keep playing like that, they'll be all right. He talked about having to stick together. They can still achieve special things this season. It's his job to do it. And he did then mention about the injuries as well. He's like he's trying to he's trying to get that out there, like you know, like a manager would do to try and spread the narrative. But he did say the manager doesn't like excuses, but he was sure to say it themselves. He said it's gone under the radar. Nobody seems to have noticed the amount of injuries they've had, and they've been coping well with it. But as soon as they get boys back, they'll have more competition and whatever. I just thought his interview was bang on too. And yeah, I don't know. I thought I thought it was a good day. Like he's the one player I'm coming away from feeling like yeah, I like John again. Yeah, I mean, the you started off there with the faintest of faint, faint praise by saying he got more out of Watkins than Musa Diaby has the last couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think John McGoo again was was good yesterday. He was asked to do two different jobs and he did them both quite well. I do think he tired. Maybe that was because of how much he put into the the shift that he had to put in. I mean, it's it's it's, 
it's hard to to look at how well we played and not think that John McGinn was a massive, massive part of that. That John McGinn and Ramsey absolutely destroyed Man United in that first half. They were they were incredible. They, they, the cleverness of their play, picking up where they were picking up the ball, and that's obviously down to an Emery as well. But John McGinn was a huge part of that, and he does give a brilliant platform. I was looking for him to. I just didn't know why we weren't just playing John McGinn back up in the number ten whenever Musa Diaby's form fell off a fucking cliff. I mean that should have happened a lot earlier than it did. Obviously Tielemans is another option up there, but I don't think he gives you the same platform that John McGinn gives you. It's John McGinn can play nice football, not as nice as Yuri Tielemans, but Jesus Christ, he's got a free ball in him as well. And it, it doesn't your pass doesn't ever need to be that good whenever Ollie Watkins is the guy running off the shoulder as well. He'll invariably get there. So like yeah, John McGinn is a is a brilliant player. We all we all love him. See him. I know we joke about his arse, but we fucking holding off Harry Maguire, wrestling him as well. His arse is able to hold off that big lump who's not trying to play football anymore. He's trying to throw him to the ground and he can't do it. And he actually gets around him and runs up the wing as Maguire is still hanging on to him, trying to throw him over the sideline. Oh yeah, but sure, Rob Jones wasn't gonna let that go, was he? Rob Jones immediately. Rob Jones called for a free kick after John McGinn was 15 yards further down the pitch. Yeah. Fucking unbelievable. There was one as well where Kamara going down, Rob Jones. And Kamara was fucking fouled twice when he was dribbling through the middle of the Man United midfield. Not that, like again, that's there's more faint faint praise. But then he eventually gets he eventually gets hacked to the ground. And Rob Jones says, play on. Absolutely ridiculous. He got in Ramsey's way one time. We've covered this before. Did that cunt yeah. get out of anybody's way? And there was one. Won the fucking first half. Well, Lindelof is trying to swap shirts with Diego Carlos in the second half, trying to swap shirts with Diego Carlos. Yeah. Doesn't get it off. Gets pissed off at Diego Carlos for not handing over his shirt. So tries to push him over the fucking end line. Absolutely <laughs> no interest in that, Rob. Did you? <laughs> Anybody else going down or up before we put an end to this misery? <laughs> let's just get out of here, Connor. Yeah, let's just get out of here. Look, I think the one thing I would say is that I would just come out and play the exact same team. Oh, we can't even because Kamara's injured. For fuck's sake. <laughs> I was going to say, like, at least that's a starting point. You know, we just play the same team. We played that well. I would be happy to go over it again, bring Pau Torres and but like, yeah, know, figure that out. Look, let's just take a break for a week. <laughs> we'll come back. I feel like every podcast is ending like this right now. But maybe begins right. Maybe we are on this one. Maybe we are stepping in the right direction. And this is just painful because it's come throughout this run. Let's stick together, guys. Let's stick together. <laughs> Share the podcast if you've made it this far. I can't believe you've listened to this podcast. I can't believe I actually got around to recording it myself because, by God, it's a tough one. But you know what? There'll be brighter days ahead. And it was around this time last year as well where it was miserable and we lost the Arsenal after having played well as well. Played really badly for a few weeks. A lot of bad results. I think it was three in a row in the league that we lost. We played way better in the Arsenal game. Got sucker points at the end. And we know what happened after that. We know what happened after that. There's the one thing that we have to look forward to. Have a good week. All the best. Acast anbefaler. 
Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skidt af alle de der podcasts, der forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.